What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a baseball or softball coach and you're into personal growth, then Stick and Ball is perfect for you. They have weekly updated videos from some of the top coaches in the country. Make sure to go check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV app. We would also like to welcome a new sponsor to the show. What about baseball? It's no secret that we live in a world with constant electronic distractions. Families are spending less time together and kids often can't look up from their devices. But the What About Baseball brand is here to help. What About Baseball is a family-owned, baseball-centric business whose focus is providing the best baseball toys, games, and accessories to bring friends and family back together to bond over the great sport. Starting with the best-selling Classic Edition board game, What About Baseball offers fun and exciting gameplay for all fans at all levels. Whether you want to teach someone about counting balls and strikes, or whether you are deciding if you should call the suicide squeeze, What About Baseball's Classic Edition board game is a proven winner and has the reviews to prove it. Even better, it's also made right here in the USA. What About Baseball would like to reward Ahead of the Curve listeners with a special offer. Go to whataboutbaseball.com curve, and that's 20% off and free shipping. Once again, that's whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve. On today's show, we have on Matt Hobbs, pitching coach at the University of Arkansas. Matt has helped craft the Razorback pitching staff into one of the top groups in the country. Matt has coached eight players that have been drafted in the top 10 rounds and has helped develop a total of seven big leaguers. Before Arkansas, Hobbs was the pitching coach at Wake Forest and in each of his first three years in Winston-Salem, the Demon Deacons improved in ERA, strikeouts, walks per nine, and opponent batting average. Hobbs pitched at Missouri from 1999 to 2002 and was drafted twice, first by the San Diego Padres and then the Kansas City Royals in 2002. So on the show, we talk all things pitching development, including who they like to recruit, what pitching assessments they use, and how they use tech for off-season development and measuring in-season progress. You're going to love this episode with Matt Hobbs. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excited to be on. Definitely. Well, I'm in, I'm really excited to get to pick your brain today. I know that uh, Nate Thompson was an episode a couple of weeks ago and and put us in touch. And man, you guys have a fantastic staff there, by the way. Like, let's just let's just spend an entire hour talking about that because <laughs> wow, like you guys are very very blessed to work with some awesome people. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it starts at the top, right? You know, when you've got Coach Van Horn, who's been doing it for a long time at an incredibly high level, um, it brings up the level of everybody around. You know, it brings up the level of everybody in the building. And being able to work closely with Nate, who I think is one of the best hitting coaches in the country, and to be able to work with Bobby Wernis, who's a volunteer assistant, who just is an absolute dynamo and is going to be a superstar in the business, I think, um, if he's not already. And then, you know, all the people that touch the program, between our strength coach, our trainer, really everybody that's involved. You know, I think that, you know, Corey Wood, our trainer, is – been doing it here for about 10 years and he's one of the best I've ever had been a chance had a chance to have been around and then Blaine Kinsley our strength coach we work very closely in Congress with what goes on with our pitchers um, from a day to day and I just feel like the the culture that coach Van Horn has set here in terms of what it means to come to work every day and what it means to while you're here be present 
and not be worried about you know, the next thing for you and your career. I think that's where a lot of people get caught up in, in some problems is they look at the job they have as what does it do for me in my future instead of I have to really do a great job at the job I have to, to make an impact on this program. And I think that's where this place is different than a lot of places. It's a, it's a destination position to be in, certainly. And it's that way because of the people that are, that are here, the, the people that are around our program are the reason why it's, it is what it is, I think. No doubt. And I, I love that coming from, uh, again, the top down. And, and I think that, you know, he's done this for so long. And so he's not, Coach Van Horn is, is who I'm talking about, uh, but he's not afraid to like pivot because I think that, you know, when, when you've been in the, I think he's been there, what, 20 plus years now. And, and so to be able to, to have a prestigious job like he has for that long, one, you have to win and, and treat players well, but you also have to, you know, pivot and, and move with the times. And, and I think that without knowing him personally, I'm sure that, that he is, he is one that, that has been able to do that over his career. And, and I, I, you know, I don't, I'm making generalizations and I don't want to speak to him, but I think that it's really cool that, that you guys all come from different backgrounds. You have different methodologies, but you mesh together to, again, at the time of this recording, have the number one team in the country, which is an amazing feat so far. Yeah. I think that you hit the nail on the head with, you know, somebody that's willing to do a lot of different things to be able to win baseball games and develop players and I think that's where Coach Van Horn is is probably the best in the game. Is uh, I've, Arkansas is going to be a destination for a lot of players based on the history of the program, what it's been in the past, what it currently is now, and the facilities, the fan base, the SEC. You can put a, you can point at a lot of different things that would draw really good players to want to come to a school like this. But once they're here, the development is really what's is, is amazing to me. You know, I think at a lot of places you could just, you know, roll the balls out there. You get some good players. You're going to win some games. You're going to lose some games. But here it's constant. The, the evaluation of the players, the evaluation of the roster, what we're going to be doing with an individual and trying to get them better is it's a daily. It is every single day. It's every second of the day. It's how are we thinking about how we can use our bullpen differently. Can, what can we do with this guy as a starter potentially? How can we develop this third pitch? And he's, he's got his hands in absolutely everything. And not to say that he's a micromanager by any sense of the word, because he really isn't. He lets us do our jobs, but it's a constant evaluation of where we're at and it never stops. And that's one of the things that's the most impressive to me about him is that he's relentless about getting better. And it's not about, you know, I think that a lot of people will point at the wins, the losses, the regional, super regional trips to Omaha, whatever. But it's really to him, it's really just about daily progress for players and being able to have good player plans and evaluate you know, what's going on with them as it relates to their development and their performance. And being in an environment like that for me is just really cool because it lets all of us stretch out as coaches. It lets us be able to utilize different technologies, be able to utilize different coaching strategies and being able to have access to all of these things is also incredibly important. So you have to have somebody that believes that you know, if we get this piece of equipment or if we try this method with this player, we can make a big impact and, and then have the ability to let us do that. You don't see that everywhere, certainly, especially when you're getting guys that are turning down millions of dollars to come to school. Sometimes it's like mm -hmm. those guys get coached hard here <laughs> and it's, and it, and it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing because it's the thing that'll take them to the next level. So I think that 
his ability to look at players and see them for what they are right now, but also to have a vision for what they should be able to become over time is, is really impressive. Definitely. And I just want to highlight, you know, one thing that, <clears throat> that stood out to me with, within that is you talk about the, you know, the daily practice of getting better. And, uh, I just started the, what drives winning book, uh, which is, I think he's done a, a couple of different series is, and he said that the moment his career changed, which is the author Brett Ledbetter, he said he was, uh, getting, he was, he was interviewing Don Meyer or having a conversation with him who at the time was the winningest coach in uh-huh. NCAA history. And he said, what, like, what goals do you have? Like what, what, you know, what do you want to accomplish or what did you want to accomplish as you are a coach? And he goes, you know, I didn't have any, I just wanted to get better today. And yeah. so it was like, that's wow, like, I, that, yeah, that, I love that. That's what it comes down to. I mean, that's what it comes down to at the end of every day here. And I think that's something I've learned from him more than anything is like your goals shouldn't revolve around. We're going to, we're going to win this many games or we're going to do this. We're going to chase this number. Or we're going to chase this, you know, trip to the postseason or whatever. It just really should involve how do we get them better today? And then how do we evaluate what happened today to get them better tomorrow? And then how do we do that again the next day? And if it happens to be on a game day, how do we put them in the best position to succeed? And if we, at the end of the game, did not do that, then how do we do a better job in the next game? And you know, that's really what the, the conversations are around here. It's not, it's not about, you know, we lost, let's panic. It's about, all right, we lost this game. What do we do now? Like, what's the next step instead of the reaction being a negative one, the reaction tilts to how do we get this player better because we need him. Oh, for sure. I love that. So let's, let's go ahead and get into some, uh, just some skill acquisition, some player development and just some different things that you're doing. Cause I'm, I know you're really good at it and, and I know you're going to brush that off and say, Oh, you know, it, but you are. And so I, I'm really excited to, uh, to get to, to talk with you about that stuff today. But let's let's rewind just a little bit. So 2020 was hard on everyone and we had to make a a lot of changes, you know, and and this is this is very micro speaking because there was a lot of changes that had to be made for people that were a lot less fortunate than we were. But uh, but but we're talking about from the baseball side, we did have to make some different changes as far as practice routines and and more efficient things, I guess you could say. And so I would love to hear what were some different changes that you were maybe not forced to make, but maybe in some self-reflection, you were like, yeah, we can do this or that better. And we could do this better than this, or just what comes to mind whenever, whenever you think about changing from last year to this year. I think that the the main thing that you have to look at when we were the situation that went on last year and is still going on right now, frankly, I mean, we're playing games, but it's not the same. Being able to be really efficient with how we spend our time with our players because, you know, they're not around as much as they were. There's not enough. There's not as much time to be sitting around in the locker room and talking about baseball. There's there's got to be more specific time that, that we when we do spend time with them, you know, as, as limited as it is at times um, with the NCAA rules being what they are. And then with the covid re- regulations being what they are, we have to be very make sure that we're maximizing our, tra- our teaching opportunities more than anything, more than we ever have had to, because, you know, three, you know, a year ago, two years ago, you know, a guy would be at the field all day. Like he'd be at the yard all day and you'd have a more than, you know, a couple opportunities to watch video with him. 
you'd have an opportunity to train him, you'd have an opportunity to reflect with him, and you'd have all these different training opportunities. And now those don't exist as much. So you got to carve out, you know, if we've got 45 minutes or 50 minutes with a kid on a day to day, on a daily basis, you know, 15 minutes preparing, you know, through some video and some prep that way, then, you know, five, 10 minutes of activation, some throwing, you know, you're, you, you run out of time pretty quick if you're not efficient. And I think that's been the biggest, the biggest challenge for our staff is to be as efficient as we possibly can be with their time, because now their time is stretched much more thin in terms of what they're allowed to do. So as the re- regulations and restrictions continue to get better around the, you know, around the country and within our program, I think that that will create uh, more time with the players, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't take away from the, the efficiency we've had to have in training. I think that's really the, I don't know if there's a silver lining in any of this, but if there was one, it would be the fact that we've had to look at our players differently in terms of their time and managing how we, how we can coach them more efficiently, how we can spend time with them. And how can we can, can we condense a 15 minute video session into five minutes of really great points instead of, you know, two minutes of good points, five minutes of talking, and then another minute of good points and then six minutes of just talking. We've reduced, we basically like take some air out of the room and just say what's important and make sure that the player has a chance to reflect on it. A player has a chance to absorb it and a player has a chance to make it actionable for them moving forward into the, whatever the drill work for the day is or whatever the bullpen work for the day is. But for me personally, it's just been, you know, make my words count, make my time with the players count. And then, you know, when we're remote from them, make sure that they have, you know, the ability to have some freedom in their training because they're, you know, when they initially, when this all happened, when they went home, I'd say 80% of our guys had no access to anywhere to train where they were just training on their own and just trying to figure some things out. So had to have some flexibility that way. And also uh, we had to be open to when they came back to us doing different, some different things that were working for them. We had to be open to being able to integrate that into our plan. And I think that's been the most, one of the funnest things is, you know, a guy was able to kind of make up a throwing drill because he was, he had to, because he was constrained by only maybe having access to plyos and a net to play catch in, but he was able to come up with this great throwing drill that really helped him be able to, you know, pronate through a changeup or something along those lines. And he wanted to continue to do that. It's not anything I'd seen before. You know, the, the, the guy, our guys came back with six or seven things I'd never seen before. That's awesome. Um, and now we have to integrate those and now we have to figure out, all right, well, if this worked for this guy, could this potentially work for this other guy? And now all of a sudden we've got, you know, some things going on that we didn't have going on 12 months ago. And I think they're beneficial and I think they can help. You know, we had a kid that really just had access to body weight stuff and was able to just hammer some, some functional physical strength for himself by just doing body weight exercises that were given to him by our strength coach and doing some core work and really learning how to control his body when he was throwing based on just some, uh, just a ton of body weight movements, which it sounds crazy, but mm-hmm. it happened. He shrunk his stride by six inches and his fastball velocity spiked, you know, plus three on average fastball velocity just by learning how to control his body a little bit better. And he didn't wow. do it because he threw like 50 bullpens with us. He did it because he got away and went and learned how to move, went and learned how to move a lot better. And you know, now here we are, you know, we're in a situation where he's a lot better and he's 
been able to grow from just being kind of on its own for about two months. No, I love that. And I, I know that a couple of years ago, you gave your presentation at the ABCA and you talked about <laughs> what are pitchers like in 2019. And it, <laughs> I would like to, to really, so you kind of foreshadowed what it was going to be like uh, in 2020, I guess. And, and I'm sure that you would even add some stuff to that. But you talked about access of information to players and they're more interested in personal development. And would you even double down on that now? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because they've been they've been on their own so much mm -hmm. over the last, you know, whatever it's been the last 12 months. I mean, we we had some of our guys back on campus at the end of the summer just to do some training to get themselves ready for fall, but for fall practice. But we didn't have them from really from March 12th until then. So the, not only their access to the information and being able to throw on, you know, some, some kind of technology, but also their interest in what that means, what that meant for them, because they had to organize it themselves a lot. I mean, we help as much as we can, but there was a sure. lot of contact rules during that time where, the, you know, didn't want, um, us to be able to like, we're forcing them to do stuff after obviously we weren't. Um, but there's a lot of rules in terms of like what we, what we could ask, ask them to do or what we could expect them to do. And that left a lot of, you know, time for self exploration for the pitchers and what they came again, what they came back with was pretty, pretty exceptional for some of the guys to be able to, you know, find out some things about themselves as throwers where it wasn't dictated to them. And I've always been a big believer in, you know, once a player takes ownership of their their process and once they take ownership of their preparation and once they take ownership of, you know, whatever their throwing program is or their lifting program or their training program is uh, or their pre-throw or their post-throw or whatever, whatever, you know, bucket you want to put it in. Once they take ownership of that and it's and they have a voice in their own development, that's when you see the great stuff start to happen. I've been really lucky to coach a lot of self-starters and a lot of pitchers that I think are really talented in my in over my the course of my coaching career. But the guys that have made the hugest jumps in terms of performance, in terms of being able to get to where they wanted to as a pitcher, were the guys that owned what they do and had a, a voice in the process. They weren't just dictated to the whole time. And I think that 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 this situation that, you know, every, every baseball coach was in the, the guys that allowed for some freedom and allowed the players to be able to go out and, and, and explore and do different things and find out different things about themselves as, uh, as, as players and as athletes, I think those are the people that, you know, found the most success. And, you know, when, when this thing shut down last year, I was a firm believer that there was two camps of people the ones that were going to come out of this better because of all these things that I've just mentioned, or the ones that we're going to find a reason why it was an excuse, you know, why find a reason why it's not going to work. And I, it, it's been across the board that I've seen that with, you know, with our guys, with players we've recruited and, you know, guys that really just took ownership of, Hey, this stinks. Nobody likes this. It's a tough situation, but, it doesn't mean it has to be just because it's different. Doesn't mean it has to be bad. I think is the the main thing that you know I've tried to get across to these guys. Our guys is it's going to be a different. The the buildup was different. Fall was different. The training was different. Uh, the season's different. Everything about it's different. But that doesn't mean bad. I think people associate a difference 
or something that's different than what they're used to is all right now this is something bad that we have to overcome like differences mm-hmm. can be great like differences on your pitching staff could be the reason why you're good and i think getting through this with a great attitude about how all right our training's a little bit different but how do we make it more efficient you know now we have now we've learned something that we can take into the rest of but hopefully the rest of my coaching career is now that it's been different we've managed to overcome and make and make some of it better and if you're just going to sit around and complain about why it's not the same as it was a year ago then you're going to get swallowed up by this thing mm-hmm. and if you're going to find a way to all right here's some positives that I can take out of this and here are some things that I've done as a player that now are mine the, the development I was talking about with the young man who went us on his own doing a bunch of body weight stuff, that's all his now. That's not sure. anybody else's. He did that. You know, we didn't do that for him. And he gets to own that for the rest of his life, that he made a huge jump. He put himself in a position to be a great pitcher in the Southeastern Conference because of him, not because of us, mm-hmm. or not because of anything that we said, hey, man, you got to do this. I didn't tell him to shorten his stride. I didn't tell him to do that. It happened. And it's hugely effective for him. But And that might be the reason why he ends up being a great draft out of here and being a great pitcher here. Maybe it's just that. And that's his. And now he can own that. And now he can own the successes from there. And he doesn't have to look to somebody to tell him what to do all the time. You know, we're just, we're all on the journey together is the way I kind of try to look at things. You know, I feel like, you know, we, we are here to provide guidance, but we're all in it together in terms of like what the day-to-day is like it's a journey for all of us. And it doesn't mean that, you know, maybe one of our pitchers has a, has a great piece of advice for one of his teammates that I'm just not seeing as a coach because that happens all the time. And, you know, why is that, is that information any less valuable because it comes from some, one of his teammates and it could, because it, it doesn't come from me. Does that make the information less valuable? Absolutely not. It makes it more valuable. Mm-hmm. So, I think just going through some of these things and some of these changes and some of the different parts of, of what's happened over the last year has been certainly challenging, but it doesn't mean it has to be something that, that beats us. No, for sure. And, you know, I, <laughs> I've done a lot of reading over the last you know couple of years, and I, I think that uh, autonomy is one of the key pieces to motivation. Like it's one of the, the three really main pillars of why players continue to stay motivated as they want to have some sort of thing that's their own. And so I love getting to hear you talk about that too, because I think that that also shows that still to be true. And I think that will be true uh, for a long, long time. And I, I don't see that, that changing at all, but I really like that. And, and so do you see that transitions? Cause I, you know, I'm a high school coach now and I, and I was a high school coach before I was with the Rangers. And so I, I, I have been the controller and then you go to pro ball and nothing is you control basically nothing. The players control everything. And so now going back into it, it's like, okay, now what pieces can I give these players? Because I don't want them to graduate and go to Arkansas and literally have to be told and asked to go to the bathroom. You know, it's like, okay, so their entire day is so structured that it's like, what can we give them to let them do on their own or what can we, what can we work with them about that? Do you see that with a lot of freshmen that are coming in? It's like, they have no idea what works for them, what they've experimented with. And they have this transition period to really owning their process or like, do you see that a lot or, or, or maybe not? 
Um, I think you see it less and less now because that's of great. Some of the things that we've already talked about is you know, a lot of these guys are training in facilities that have access to some of the same stuff we use here. And I think from a recruiting perspective, you know, I feel like we can speed that curve up. Like we can speed the curve up of what they're going to be expected to do. And I think that a lot of, a lot of it, it coaches try to scare these kids about what it's going to be like when they get here. So it scares them into training hard. But really, if you just be honest with them about here are some of the things that we're going to look for from an evaluation standpoint. So let me get with your trainer about just talking through some of the things that you've done. What have you been exposed to? So that when they get here, we have a general idea of has this kid been exposed to Throwing on track, man, has he been exposed to rap soto? Has he been exposed to flight scope, the pitch logic ball, whatever? There's a lot of different ways to track a baseball. And sure. what's he been exposed to? What's the information he's comfortable with? How much can we give him early? Do we need to train him on it? Does he has he been throwing on it for a long time? Does is he gonna know what you know having good separation between his fastball and his cutter are? Like, is he going to need to know that? Or does he already have a general idea of what those pitches are supposed to do, how they're supposed to move in space, how they're supposed to be together, how they're supposed to split? Um, So I think that as coaches from a recruiting standpoint, if, if if we talk to everybody that works with these kids as much as we can, you know, obviously there's some limitations just because of the NCAA rules and regulations. But if we can be proactive about figuring out what they've been accustomed to from a training perspective that that helps speed that curve up significantly well you're always going to have guys that you know a three-sport guy that hasn't ever really played baseball only that comes in and doesn't know what to do in the fall because he never had to like you're always going to have a little bit of that if you recruit good athletes and that's where we come in right that's where we come in that's where the system comes in like if we can put together a great system that teaches itself you know it's going to allow those players to, once they get here, all right, now I've got seven different options for pre-throw. I only need three of them. Which three work best for me? How do I, like, how do I get my rep scheme together? How do I dose this out on a seven? If I'm going to throw for, if I'm going to throw six out of seven days, do I do a little more on my bullpen day? Do I do a little less on my you know day after my outing? What do I do? And we give them the entire fall to kind of explore. And provide them with everything. Provide them with every piece of equipment we can get, like shoulder tubes to weighted balls to wrist weights to Indian clubs to whatever you want. We, we, if it's out there, we'll go try to get it. And just provide all of these pieces of equipment, all of these different movements that we can help them with. You know, we screen our guys regularly. We assess them regularly. We have, you know, with with Corey Wood and Blaine Kinsley, who I've already spoken about briefly. And myself, there's a kind of a three-headed assessment monster that takes place throughout the year. And as we start to see things differ in the weight room, or we start to see things differ in the training room, or we start to see things from my perspective differ in the throwing, then we can start helping players make adjustments. And with freshmen, it's always a little bit more difficult just because they haven't been through it before. But, you know, if we take... For example, we have a freshman that was a starter for us in the fall and in the up, you know, leading into the spring, and he pivoted really opening weekend, and now he's our closer. <laughs> That's a pretty drastic jump, right? I mean, from having a starter routine your entire mm-hmm. life, right? Even when he was here, to just pivoting to all right, well, he got kind of thrown in a situation, 
looked like a closer. And then we just kind of like, all right, well, maybe this guy's our closer. Now we have to change his training. Now we have to change how we train him. Now we have to change how he recovers, change how um, we treat him after outings to get him turned around quickly. If he has to go twice in a weekend, that's not something that this kid's ever been exposed to before. So that's where I think it becomes the most challenging. Not necessarily that they don't, what they do or they don't know. It's what they have and they haven't done. So if we can get them in a situation where now he's got a plan for what to do from Friday to Sunday or from Friday to Saturday to get turned around faster in case he has to throw, you know, twice in a weekend or in case he has to go from Tuesday to Friday or something along those lines. Now he's got a plan for all of that. And that's where, you know, having great people around him uh, with our training staff allows for that to be possible. So I think that most people will look at freshmen and just assume they don't know anything. And that's a fault of that's a fault of us as a baseball coaching industry, not not the kids. I'm with you and I love that answer. So thank you for really elaborating on that, too. And and a couple of things that, that stand out that you were just mentioning, I'd love to hear more about your assessment process. And you mentioned the three headed monster, just especially in season and you guys do it regularly. What are some different things that, that you're looking for? Well, in the weight room, we're going to test things like how fast the bar is moving. So we'll use Tendo units to test bar speed. Um, you know, Blaine Kinsley has a, a multitude of assessments that he uses on a day-to-day, whether it's vertical, whether it's lateral jumps, whether it's bar speed that I've already mentioned. Um, all kinds of things where we're, we're going to test, you know, where they're at from a readiness standpoint, where they're at from a strength standpoint is the volume. Um, that they're lifting need to be changed, you know, a, a thousand different things in the, in the way room. I don't want to speak too much to his process, but it's just the sure. things that I've witnessed and the things that we've discussed. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of those, a lot of those types of things where we're looking for not only readiness, but we're looking for, you know, being able to make some jumps in training during the season, be able to try to get them stronger as they go. And so there's an assessment of like, all right, is the weight they're lifting going down up or the same? You know, that's just a general assessment. How fast does it move? You know, are, are they starting to fatigue faster than normal? Do we have to make adjustments? On Does his volume have to adjust to fit my volume as a pitching coach? Because I'm, I'm asking them to do more now than I ever have at, at the time that they've been here because of this. It's just the, seed, the nature of the season. They're throwing more. They're throwing more aggressively. There's more intensity to what goes on. So my evaluation in the pitching, in the pitching space um, in the fall starts with, you know, an evaluation of their delivery that we take, you know, usually we'll have to take video from their high school or junior college time until, you know, the first two weeks that they're here with us. So we can look at video to make sure that we're, we're still seeing the things that we liked. We can then take the, you know, take a bullpen session and throw five or six pitches off our force mound so we can see how they interact with the ground. And then we can measure um, our assessments on, you know, how the ball's moving off of our track man unit or how the ball's moving inside off the rep soto. So we can, we assess based on those things. Um, and then the training room, you know, the assessments are the, the body movement, you know, what's the internal, external rotation of the hips, shoulders, you know, what kind of elbow extension do they have doors, ankle dorsiflexion? There's another, like a million things we'll assess there. And that'll be constant throughout the season in terms of, you know, does this player starting to come in more for treatment on this area? Okay, well, you know, how do we change what he does from a throwing perspective if that's an issue? 
Um, so these are just constant daily levels of assessment. I, you know, we watch them do their free throw every day, obviously, because we're in there with them in the, in our kitchen development center. And, you know, are we getting the same movement quality is the movement quality, you know, getting better, worse, or different during the season. And that allows us to make assessments on, do we have to change some things this way? You know, pitchers are just out of sheer throwing volume going to gain in more external rotation and lose some internal rotation throughout the season. So we may need to make sure that we're constantly making sure that we we're testing these things to make sure we're not getting in a red zone to, you know, where, you know, they're going to be put at risk for injury or just, you know, general lack of, um, consistent performance. So So the assessment process has to go into all three heads. It can't just be pitching. It can't just be me looking at pitchers and saying he's not doing this well. It has to be me looking at a pitcher and seeing, okay, maybe there's a little deficiency here than going to, you know, Blaine and saying, all right, what's it look like in the weight room? Is he doing more single leg or, you know, whatever. Sure. And then going to, you know, Corey and saying, all right, well, what's he coming into the, is he coming into the training room for this a lot? Like, what are the, what do I need to know about the guys today or, Know, anything like that it's just constant communication between the pitching coach the trainer and the strength coach that's really really good what what do you guys use for pitcher readiness so you mentioned like the different colors and i immediately go to modus like i don't i don't know if you guys use that or not but i know that a lot of teams or teams used to maybe still do we have in the past um i use modus a lot at wake forest when um it first kind of first was coming onto the scene to to measure some things about you know volume and assessment of how pitches were affecting the throwing arm. Um, different pitches would, you know, I had more stress, some pitches would have less stress. Uh, indiv- it was more individually based because like some guy would throw a change up and it would be more stressful than his fastball. And some guy would throw a fastball. It would be the least, the least stressful pitch he threw. And some guy would throw a slider. would be the most, it just, it just ranged from guy to guy. So um, we ha- I have used the most before, when we're talking about readiness for, for our pitchers, it, it's based on, you know, one, how they're feeling, what kind of feedback we're getting. I think that's still the king of all assessment is talking to them is the best assessment and finding out how they're feeling physically. Do they feel strong? And then looking at the numbers from their bullpen, mid, like midweek bullpens can tell us a lot about how a guy's feeling. So that'll help us measure assessment from a readiness standpoint for our starters for our, our bullpen guys, um, we're measuring, you know, how many throws they make in the bullpen. Our bullpen coach is fantastic and, and looking at like how many times they're up and down, how many times they're hot, how many pitches they make at, at, at a red, kind of like a red line level where they're about to come into the game. How many pitches did they throw there? We'll take account into those things. We'll take account how many pitches they threw in their, their outing will take into account. What does it look like the next day in the weight room from a performance standpoint with Blaine? Um, and then I, I think that that all, so all of those things go into measuring readiness. There is no sure. like number we use or anything like that, but all of those things go into measuring, all right, is this guy going to be ready for today? Do we need to take the, the midweek bullpen for this starter based on last week's pitch count? How many times is he in the stretch? How many times he pitched with runners in scoring position? Um, how many times he went up and down? Does that have to limit the amount of work in this week's bullpen in terms of workload? Do we have to pull the intensity down? We track it. Every pitch they throw is tracked in some way, whether it's Edgertronic video, whether it's Rapsodo, Trackman, or Force Mound, whatever. We track every single pitch they throw from the time they get here till the time they leave. So 
we can go back to, all right, let's take the volume from last week's bullpen and let's also look at the intensity in terms of what we were getting from pitch velocity on off-speed pitches. Like pitch velocity on off-speed pitches was linear to pitch velocity on off-speed pitches in game. You know, you're a little bit more sore this week than you normally were. So this week's bullpen, let's take 80% of pitch velocity in game and measure it that way. Like we can do things just as simple as that, like looking at linear movement across um, space between starts or space between outings in terms of how hard they're throwing the ball. You know, if you can look at it, something as simple as that, and then go back and say, all right, well, what were the weights if they were lifting? So, you know, Blaine can take a look at that. Maybe we need to reduce some of that volume to make sure this guy's ready to go. Or maybe we need to ramp it up. You know, maybe the mid- last week's midweek bullpen was garbage and he, you know, mm-hmm. it was, you know, the guy's 90 to 96 in a game and he's throwing 80 to 82 in the bullpen. That's not going to get him any better. Sure. Um, so there's there's also ways to look at increasing volume and increasing amounts of time. We get guys down the mound. If you're a reliever and you're not getting regular work, we need to also assess that you're probably not as ready as you would be if you are getting regular work. So maybe you need a midweek pen that's game like. Maybe you need we need to put you up in there against hitters. Maybe we need to put you in there with you know throw you on the the game mound so we can get some more linear working velocity so that you're stressing your arm enough to be ready. Cause I sure. think a lot of people think that it's just, you're just taking things away to try to get them ready instead of adding things. Right. You also like you're a relief pitcher at the college level and you don't throw for 10 days. You're not going to be rest. Sometimes being overly rested is not nearly as good as having like two to two really good working days in between those 10 days. So it's not rest isn't always better. No, I love that. And I, I, this is, I love this conversation, Matt, because I ask you a question and then you go like surface level answer, deeper, 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 all the way to like specific examples. And so I can, I really do appreciate that. Cause I, I think that, that you're doing a fantastic job of explaining some, just some general questions in also an individualized manner. So I, I appreciate that. I love it. Another thing that you mentioned with, with talking recovery, uh, I, you know, I, you mentioned that everyone kind of has their recovery routines and we we know that sleep and hydration and getting plenty of, of just nutrition uh, it, it are all big deals. But besides those few things, what are some different things that I don't know if you if you uh, have some must do's and then you have some, hey, this is what you know, you talk with the player and this is what makes them feel good. But do you have any guidelines for recovery? And we could talk starters and then you could talk relievers if you don't mind, because I'd love to hear both. Yeah. So starters will be much more structured in terms of, you know, body work, I think is one of the biggest things. You mentioned sleep and hydration and those things. And those are the kings still, no matter what we do with a player manually, those are the kings. Like guys getting 10, eight to 10 hours of sleep and guys being hydrated and eating well are still the kings of recovery. But in lieu of those things, we're assuming those things are going on. Um, body work's really important. So guys will use Graston, guys will use cupping, guys will use massage. And all of our starters have something that they do from that standpoint You know, throughout the week. Um, we usually try to get them either scraped, cupped, or massaged within two days of the start or the outing. And that's usually that most of our guys are like that. And the same kind of thing will happen uh, from a bullpen standpoint. We try to treat the bullpen as it's like your less stressful start in mm-hmm. terms of recovery protocols. So those don't really change. You know, you, you basically have kind of two days of body work a week. Now, some guys more, some guys less, but 
most most guys get two days of body work as starters. And that's again, that's a little bit different for everybody in terms of what they like to do and what our, our trainer thinks they need to do. And then from a post throw standpoint for the starting pitchers, um, we take after the game's over, we don't do a whole lot with them, to be honest. It's I, I don't know how much value there is in, you know, just beating them up right after an outing. Um, the next day is really where a lot of the recoveries, a lot of the recovery begins. Um, so they'll, they'll do not a lot after the start, but the next day it's, it's pretty much going to be getting, you know, getting after it in the weight room with Blaine and then getting with Corey. And then, you know, they're getting in a throw day, you know, within the first two days of the outing, one of the first two days has to be a throw day. And then their recovery, you know, protocols after that, we really like the rebounder. I think it's a great tool. Waiter walks are a great tool, some band pull-aparts, really good tools for um, recovery. The J-bands, you know, I think that from activation and recovery, those are great. So we use all those uh, differences. Rhythmic stabilization still a king in terms of getting guys back to being able to stabilize. I think that's a big one in terms of you can do wall dribbles, you can do, you know, 90s at the finished position you can do 90s at the loaded position you can do all kinds of different things there with a partner or, or um with one of our trainers and then recovery protocols for relievers are it's it's somewhat similar to starters in terms of the amount of body work they get okay because if they have an outing they're going to go get something done probably the next day uh, some guys maybe right after but nothing that would tax them and then I think force acceptance is still like one of the kings of getting you, your arm turned around. So the rebounder is like a big tool for us. And we use it in different, like different areas. Like there, you have your straight down standard rebounder throws. You have internal external rotation throws you can do from the side. We, we have a, a huge tramp in our, uh, in our PD, our pitching development center that we can use a lot of different, being able to throw and accept force from a lot of different angles. So I think that's a big one for us. And then uh, really just getting back in and training also, you know, doing some movement prep, some, some like a good CNS lift after, you know, an outing for a reliever, I think is very good for their overall recovery where they're just doing some things to spark up the central nervous system to get them ready to get turned around quickly. So the weight room plays a big part in that too. Again, you know, the communication between myself and our strength coach to be, all right, here are the guys we think we need to get some CNS in. Here's the guys mm -hmm. we need to train their tails off because they're probably not going to be available. But constantly getting the training of the arm and the training of the body going is one of the best ways to recover a pitcher, I think. Instead of just waiting and not doing a whole lot, you know, trying to think that if you just rest, you'll recover. Um, usually that, that lengthens the process of a healthy pitcher. Sure. No. And <laughs> you're, uh, <clears throat> you're, that's one thing that I, I was going to say you're calling me, but you're not. That's the one thing that I learned over the last couple of years too, that I, that I did wrong as a pitching coach, uh, many moons ago was <laughs> having guys do stuff the night of. And it seems like that that's, you know, the more research that comes out about it, the more guys like yourself that are, that are talking about the, the, the reasons why we wouldn't want to, I mean, you literally thrown a hundred pitches and then you're going to go yeah. run poles or do more plow ball. And it's like, okay, you know, it's, it, there's a, probably a reason why guys are, are getting tired. So I really like that a lot. And, and, and again, thank you again for, for running through those because I, I know that especially this year, 
recovery is paramount because a lot of kids had, you know, half of the innings or even less that they did last year. So it's like, okay, how do we do this better? And so when you, when you're talking about in season, so this is the, this is the time that we're in right now and and we're in the middle of March at this recording. And so you're smack in the middle of, you know, an Omaha run and, and guys are seasons are starting or seasons. I mean, we're, we're about three weeks in as well. And so we're talking about in season development so to kind of walk us through what what your what your game plan is in regards to that. I know that that's a broad question because you're like, you know, I've got we've got to win games on the weekend, but we still want to develop uh, in in season and, and especially with guys that aren't throwing every single day and, and you have a plan for them, I'm sure. But just kind of walk through when you transition from preseason, getting guys ready to in season, you know, what changes for you and then what besides winning games and, and keeping guys healthy, really what's like, what, what are some of your really important pillars? Uh, I think the start is that once you get into the season, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're just trying to bubble gum dudes back together between outings. Like you still have to train and you still have to get better. So like our starting pitchers, their bullpens are, we try to make them as challenging as we can in terms of giving them information about, we have a starting pitcher, for example, and I'll get into the other guys as we kind of just tear down through these through these groupings. But if we have a starting pitcher, we're going to force that guy to sit down and evaluate his opponent. You know, we're going to do a scouting report individually with every one of our starters before their pens, so that now they have this information. Now that they're forced, they're forced to be able to look at this information, evaluate these hitters, and then take that information and go throw a bullpen. Uh, and that's not hard. That's not an easy thing to do for 18, 22, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kids is to look at, all right, well, now I've just gotten all this information. All I was really going to come in here to do is try to like throw this bullpen and work on my changeup. But now coach has given me all of this new information and I have to process that. And that's a challenge. So sometimes like <clears throat> throwing the ball under the string or whatever a lot of people do as their challenge, our challenge is like, let's handle information. Let's handle how we want to use this pitch across the belt line. We want to throw this, you know, this cutter in across the belt line to a left-handed hitter because we've just seen it be successful time and time again against this particular hitter that we're about to face. And then how does that, how does that mesh with his development being able to, all right, now, you know, let's take that thing that we're working on to get this one hitter out. Now we add that to your arsenal. So there's going to be a day where you can't throw your fastball to the glove side to a left-handed hitter if you're a right-handed pitcher. But we still got to get in. So what do we get in with? So maybe it's a slider, maybe it's a cutter, maybe we're able to throw, you know, a harder breaking ball on the inner half of the plate to be able to access that part of the strike zone. And maybe this situation where we're looking at how to get this specific hitter out is now giving you a new tool in your arsenal to be able to use it throughout your career. So our guys are challenged with information, they're challenged with being creative with how they're going to develop pitches and how they develop these pitches to then take with them they get to take that with them. They've now earned that pitch. And, you know, it happened because we had some information about a hitter that we felt like we, there was a weakness we could exploit. And this pitcher had to work on being able to throw that pitch. Um, he always had the pitch. Now he just needed to know that, like, there's a different part of the zone you can access it with. And now he's developed and he's gotten better just through the simple process of being able to look at some information that he was getting before his pen. And that was his challenge. His challenge wasn't to, you know, throw... 10 strikes in his bullpen out of 12 pitches. His challenge was to develop. And we look at that with relievers too. You know, if we're 
thinking about, all right, how are we going to challenge a reliever? Well, if he's not getting enough work, maybe he needs the challenge of throwing five pitches off the mound every game day. Maybe he needs that challenge. That's his new challenge. It's the new thing that he has to be able to achieve. And maybe there's a day when he's working on his changeup. Maybe there's a day when he's working on arm side fastball. Maybe there's a day when he's working on his curveball. Maybe there's a day when he just needs five to feel good off the mound to get ready. So that's his challenge in development. And, you know, maybe it's catch play. Maybe it's extending catch play to, you know, killing some of the long toss and getting back into 60 feet and throwing some sharper off-speed pitches to a, you know, to his throwing partner to different quadrants of the guy's chest. You know, maybe it's something like that challenge. Like giving them challenges, I think, is the best way to start to think about, all right, how do we develop in season instead of just how do we get you to your next outing? How do we just give sure. you three days off so you're ready to pitch again? It's like that's not that's not effective. That's just not over time. That's not effective. And there's going to be time when guys are banged up and they do need the time off. And that's that's a different story entirely. But they still need to try to develop. And still we still need to be able to tr- try to figure out ways to develop. I mean, there's always been this like throw off the mound or throw up flat ground or play long toss or don't play. There's just so many mm-hmm. theories about like what to do, what not to do. And so many people just will die on these hills. And it's really just about the player. Like if you can get away from your own ego as a coach and say, all right, well, what does the player need? And does he need to throw flat ground? Cause that makes his, he thinks that's going to make his breaking ball better. And you can actually show that it, it does, it does improve it through, you know, how you're tracking his performance and development. And why shouldn't he be able to do that? Just cause you don't believe in it as a coach. That's ridiculous. I think that being open to, to the players and, and letting them help, us figure out the best way to coach them is what we have to do as coaches. So there's got to be some voice and player development, especially from relief pitchers, because they don't get as much work as starters just through the natural nature of their job. Their job might be, he might, our, our relievers might get hot twice in a weekend, never pitch. So making sure that our pitchers know that are when they're in the bullpen, that's still development time. Those are still development opportunities. If you're going to throw 15 pitches to get hot, that's 15 chances to get better. Mm-hmm. It's not just get hot as fast as you can. It's 15 chances to improve a pitch. So the more they do those things and the more we give them information about, all right, you're coming in to face a left-handed hitter in this inning, you got the third hitter of the inning or the fourth hitter of the inning and get yourself all the way there. And now our pitcher is starting to throw these glove side fastballs to try to extend the plate. You know, he's throwing pitches on the edge. He's throwing 50-50 balls where he really is, you know, trying to expand the zone because he knows he might pitch there. And then he's got to get an arm side fastball going because he might have to throw same side fastball in. Now he's owning these pitches. Now he's developing these pitches because he's throwing them in the bullpen instead of just mindlessly throwing. He's developing pitches that he can take with him in his career. He's earning these pitches. Um, so from a development standpoint for relievers, we like to take it as far, as far as we can in terms of them just being able to think about, like, it's not just about throw two pitches, two fastballs, arm side, two fastballs, glove side, two curveballs. Like I don't script anything our guys do. ever. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's I just awesome. I don't think it's fair to them from a development standpoint. The, the bullpen can take us places The the, you know, the, the up can take us places that it, it, it doesn't take us. If I just say, all right, we're going to box five fastballs and then you're going to throw to your arm side and then you're going to throw to your glove side because it's just what I do as a coach. What I do as a coach is irrelevant to the player. Like they have to have total, not autonomy necessarily. They have to have autonomy, not total autonomy because we have to help them sure. in certain, in certain areas, but mm-hmm. they have to have some voice in what they're going to do. 
And then we have to be able to take them places as coaches where, all right, well, yes, you want to work on this arm side fastball. That's fine. But we now have to take that arm side fastball and we have to use another pitch to spread the plate. So what's the next pitch? And then they have to start to answer these questions so that when I'm throwing, they're they're throwing on the mound that they've thrown two fastballs into a, you know, right-handed hitter, same side fastball. And if they're a right-handed pitcher, now what do we spread the plate with? What do we, how do we get away from that spot? Like, what do we, how do we get those pitches to work together? Is it going to be this? Can he really throw his change up to his glove side? Like maybe that's not a pitch that, you know, I particularly think is that effective, but maybe this guy can do it because he practiced it because he worked on it in the pen because it was something where he took the bullpen to like, when I asked the question, all right, now that you've thrown two fastballs to the arm side, what do you use to spread the plate? It's not all, it doesn't always have to be a, you know, a, left turn breaking ball like it, sure. it can be something different so it so just, spreading the plate you mean like east and west yeah if you're going to okay. do something like that if you're if you're a pitcher that throws that way i mean you're spreading the plate you can do it a bunch of different ways like you just think about it as in terms of how much space you can create between pitches gotcha perfect how much I love you can that. get those pitches to at least look like each other for a little while but how much space you can create you know, I think that guys like uh, the pitching ninja have really shown us <laughs> the value in being able to do that when he puts an overlay of, you know, Stroman or one of the guys that's incredible at doing mm-hmm. that or, you know, any of those guys, DeGrom or any of the guys that can really do that and share space. But being able to find pitches that can separate from each other, I think, is really important and being able to show them, you know, what the line of those pitches are. Edgertronic cameras, we have a couple of them. We're real lucky in that in that sense can help our guys be able to see. So if we get done with a bullpen session, they get an overlay of every pitch they threw, they get the individual pitch, then they get an overlay of all those pitches so they can see how those pitches are working together in space and how they can play off of each other. So that gives them more information of how to use those when we get into the fight. Oh, that's fantastic. That's kind of like relievers a little bit. And then when you get into the guys that aren't pitching as much, there's Mm -hmm. a reason why they're not pitching as much. Maybe they need to spend more time training because they're not in good enough shape or they're not strong enough. Maybe they need to go into an intensive, you know, plyo velocity program or something like that. Maybe we need to play more long toss. So their their training gets real specific in terms of, right, we have a goal. Here's our goal. We're going to try to drop your arm slot or we're going to try to raise your arm slot or we're going to try to add two miles an hour to your fastball. And, you know, what are the ways we can do it? We can do it with weighted balls. We can do it with long toss. We can do it with training in the weight room. You probably have to do it with all three. Some guys, you know, don't like throwing weighted balls. Some guys just want to play long toss. Some guys hate playing long toss, just want to throw weighted balls. There's all kinds of different ways you can train a guy. But the most important thing usually is being able to have a little bit of everything going on at the same time. So we're throwing a bunch of stuff at these guys that aren't pitching as much because we have that luxury because we don't have to worry about performance for a little while. So, for example, we had a kid that was, you know, really struggled in his lead up to uh, to the season. We knew he wasn't going to pitch right away, so he just went on the shelf for three weeks and just went into like hardcore uh, throwing training for about three weeks, and you know, came out of it with more confidence, came out of it feeling better about himself, and came out of it throwing harder because we didn't have to. We took the performance metric away for a little while and let him have some freedom. Um, and now we can t- now we can put that back in, and now we can work to develop in that way. So there's a lot of different ways you can work with guys. You know, some guys don't pitch because they have a fastball and that's it. So we can go into like boot camp on changeups and sliders or curveball sure. or whatever off speed pitch we're going to throw at this guy. We can just go into dive deep into how we can develop these pitches and spend our time on that instead of spending our time on worrying about like 
how to get him ready for his next outing because he doesn't have an outing. Like he's not mm-hmm. pitching. So, right. and some guys, it's just purely getting them over, getting them over the plate. So you can do more things with like command bullpens and try to train them a little bit differently than you train a guy that was getting ready to pitch. So right. I think there's a lot of different ways you can develop guys in season. So it, it just, it takes a ton of, uh, you know, evaluation and work to mm-hmm. be able to figure out what the best way to do that is. And sometimes my way is the best and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes their way is the best. So it's being open to all of those things too. No, that's fantastic. And so you've got, I've got a couple things that I really want to, want to stick on here and just, uh, just now, but with the guys that aren't playing every day, what does that conversation look like? I'm sure it's something that you have in the preseason, but like, how do you keep those guys motivated and not just, you know, riding in the bullpen? I think the best way is to just continue to train them. I think guys lose motivation when they start to think that they're marginalized. Great point. Making, giving them like, if a guy's not throwing in a game, I don't skip watching his pens. Like I don't, take time away from him because I feel like I need to work on these other guys. Like I'll give them my time and my input and then I'll listen to what they have to say. Also, it won't just be like, let me get through this. So I can get on to the next thing. I try to be as present as I can all the time when we're in the bullpen. And I think that helps guys feel like, all right, well, we're all still in this fight together. And then you got to give them a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of, Hey, this is a possibility here. Like, you know, this is a role potentially if we can figure out these two things we need to really work on. There's also a lot of motivation around being around really good players. I mean, if they can, they're our guys watch bullpens. Our guys kind of sit in the PDC and you know watch guys you know throw pens and can see. All right, well, this guy's our Friday guy, and he goes out and his bullpen is 18 pitches and it's 15 quality pitches, and the three that aren't good are because he was trying to do something with it. You know, he was experimenting a little, and that's the level I need to get to. So. If there's a, a player that's driven by competition, if there's a player that's driven by the want to to get better and they were going to watch some of these things that are happening within the program, I think that really helps the motivation to, uh, this is the level I need to get to if I want to be that guy. And this is also conversations with them, you know, try to talk to them as much as we can in terms of this is this is good, but here's the reason why this isn't going to work at uh, work on the field. And then here are some ways to hopefully get that better. And does it work with every guy? Absolutely not. <laughs> like I wish I could say it was 100% foolproof and all of our guys were really excited to be here every day and they loved it no matter what. And the bottom line is they all want to pitch. There are more pitchers than there are opportunities. And, you know, this is a, this is a place where you need to not only be talented but be incredibly internally motivated to be able to make it work. So there are some guys that get here and just realize that, Hey, you know, I, I, I can't do all of this for sure. It's just a lot. And that happens everywhere. It's happened everywhere mm-hmm. I've ever coached. And you know, the Arkansas is no different than Santa Barbara city college in that sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So let's go ahead. And I, I want to know what, do, what do you, well, with we've got so much tech and we could probably spend an entire episode just talking about that. But I do, I think we, a lot of people notice when guys are doing it for player evaluation, like you see guys have X number of spin rate on their fastball or, or slider or, you know, and, and so we know what it looks like for player evaluation, but how do we use it 
for player development. So say you've got, you get some guys on campus and you're like, okay, you're, you are this type of guy based on the numbers that you have and the strengths that, that you are using. So how do we switch from using it as just in a player evaluation tool to, and I, I guess I'm talking more of like uh, ball data or or you can use whatever sure. that you want, but instead of just using it to tell a guy whether he's good or not, tell a guy what he does well and what he doesn't. And he may already know that, but then how do we use it to continue to hone and improve and help them feel like they're useful regardless of if they're throwing 96 with, you know, 25, uh, 2,500 RPMs on their, on their fastball. I think that there's so much information you can pull something out for, for everybody that's going to at least keep them motivated in terms of those types of things. Like you don't always have to use player evaluation tools to tell a guy why he's not good right. or, you know, telling him why he's good or why this is a special pitch. I think it more, ac- it more accurately is used to, zone access with different types of pitches to give them something that they can be super confident in. So let's say I have a guy that if I'm talking about development, if I'm talking about trying to develop a pitch or trying to develop a player, I have a pitcher that is a, you know, 60% in zone strike thrower with his slider and a 30% in zone strike thrower with his fastball. I'm just using just wild percentages just for, for reference, not anything that's actually sure. consistent with things that we would look at. But mm-hmm. obviously that means my slider is better than my fastball in terms of zone act, you know, zone access. I can get it in the zone more often. I can get more swings with it. My fastball is not as good in terms of strikes. How do I use that for player development? Well, it comes down to creating confidence and use, helping players figure out how to use their stuff. So if I've got this slider, I can throw ahead in the, you know, I can throw this pitch to get ahead in the count. Now all of a sudden my fastball is much more usable because I don't have to worry about it. I just need, I don't need to throw it for a strike. I don't have to lean on it. I can lean on a different pitch. And now, you know, maybe I have success about throwing the fastball outside of the strike zone because some of the characteristics on the fastball are good enough to get swing and miss, but it's not necessarily good enough for strikes. But I just made that pitch super effective because now I'm only throwing it. I'm usually, you know, the majority of the time I'm throwing it is when I'm ahead. So I can get hitters to be more aggressive, leave the zone, and swing at a pitch that's harder to hit. And the pitch that I need to be able to develop to throw strikes with is now an off-speed pitch. And then I've developed enough confidence as a pitcher to think, all right, well, now my fastball is really good because I get all these swings and misses on it. So now I'm going to attack the zone with it a little bit more because, you know, I'm more confident in that pitch now. So through just switching the way a guy accesses the strike zone, you can gain some confidence that way and turn a really bad strike percentage pitch into something that a guy's incredibly confident in and can throw more with more efficiency through the zone. So you can look at things that way, or you can look at, all right. Well, you know, I think my pitcher who shows up on campus might think he's a guy that throws fastballs at the top of the strike zone, but really what he throws is kind of like a dead zone fastball. It's like equal numbers of horizontal and vertical movement. And neither one of them are exceptional. And neither one are exceptional. They're just a kind of a dead zone pitch that, you know, slides across the zone. So now we can make a movement to, all right, are we going to try to throw this guy north south or are we going to try to throw this guy east west? Because we got to go one of two ways with him because it's not exceptional velocity. It's kind of a, a pedestrian fastball in terms of movement. So now we have to look at, all right, first thing we look at, how does he move? Like, what's his most successful way to move down the mound? Is it north south? Is it east west? If it's north-south and he's throwing a two-seam fastball and that's what's creating this type of carry issue, then maybe we'd switch to a four-seamer, try to get him more on top of the baseball so he can drive vertical movement 
um, maybe instead of the slider that he's currently throwing, we teach him a curveball based on the fact that how he moves and based on what he can now do with his fastball because of some movement we've looked at and some numbers that we've been able to access through, you know, just ball data. So there's a lot of different ways you can look at, you know, how the ball is move, how a pitcher is able to move the baseball if it's not necessarily great when they show up and turn it into, if it's a strike issue or if it's a movement issue, you can look at it a couple different ways. Uh, we usually start with movement and then go from there. We usually would use the last, the last resort is kind of what I talked about first. If it's, you know, all right, this guy just not going to be a great strike thrower with his fastball. It's going to be a, a struggle for him. He's been going to fastball his entire career to try to throw strikes, which is why he doesn't throw strikes. So let's try something different. So maybe he goes to something different to get the strike so he can come back and turn the fastball into something that's usable for him. So I think that you can look at it, you know, just from just tracking the baseball, there's a bunch of different ways to look at how you can, you know, drive player development or drive pitch development or drive pitcher overall development with just how they access the strike zone. For sure. And a lot to think about there, which I, uh, really, really do thank you for, uh, again, with the depth that, that we're, what we're speaking today. So once the game starts though, do you, you guys have track man and I'm sure a lot of sec schools do, do you use that or do you, are you just hunting outs? Uh, we, I mean, can't use it during the game just because of the rules. Oh, okay. You know, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to look at track man information during games. Okay. I mean, the, only, the only information you really have is just the video board. The, the, the video board sometimes get, depending on where you're at, will give you pitch velocity, Okay. but we know what they do in terms of, so here's like, that's, this is a way where you can use track man in game without actually cheating. So okay. <laughs> you have to have a really good information base of what their ball does going into the start. You got to know what they do. You got to know what their numbers are. You got to kind of know the movement. And then you have to be able to have access two different things, access a time when they've been really good and a time when they've been really bad. And what's been different about movement? Like, is the pit, does the pitch have less horizontal movement when it's good and more horizontal movement when it's bad? Or, or whatever the case may be. Then it's conversations in game with the catchers. The catchers are the most important people on the field for me. Well, we happen to have the best one in the country uh, in Casey Opitz, in my opinion, but um, they become incredibly important. Our, so if we're talking about how we're going to utilize, you know, the information that we know, does his slider have more horizontal movement or does it have more vertical movement? Is his fastball more moving arm side or more moving glove side? Like, what do we know about if, if the answer is, yeah, it's, it's, you know, he's this slide, his horizontal movement on his slider is, is it's a little bit more than it usually is. So now we can talk to the pitcher and take him back to our, Hey, remember when you were really good and we were talking about being able to make throw in tight windows with your slider. Well, that's not happening right now. We're getting a lot of wide movement, wide breaks. So this probably means that you're around the baseball. This probably means that you're picking up two or four, you know, between three to five extra inches of horizontal break. And you knew based on the last time, you know, this happened that, when you can get your windows tight and when you can keep your movement tight, that's where you get like the six inches of horizontal break instead of the 11 inches of horizontal break, the 10 inches of horizontal break. And then if you're able to have those types of conversations with players and that's how you can kind of use track man in game, even though you're not really allowed to, where you're not allowed to. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you're just trying to get people out. But do those things help you get people out? Absolutely. Because if you can get them back to a place when you've been able to prove that, hey, when the pitch moves like this, it's more effective against the barrel. I mean, we evaluate our pitches against hitters is really the only value. I mean, the, the, the accessory metrics of a pitch are important in terms of how they get hitters out. And that's where it begins and where it ends. 
Uh, how it performs against the barrel is the only thing that's important. You can create a wonderful looking pitch in the bullpen and it could be terrible against the bat and it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. So if we can, we, we look at like how pitches create one, what, what part of the zone do we create the lowest amount of exit velocity, or we can create incredibly high, you know, an incredibly high launch angle. If we're going to pitch up in the air, or if we're going to be able to create negatives, you know, extreme negatives, if we're going to try to pitch on the ground with a guy, well, what part of the zone accesses those numbers? And we can make sure our player, our pitcher understands that, our catcher understands that. Here's where he goes to get this type of result. So when we get into a game situation, we get into when it's, it's really hot out there is, all right, well, I know I can go here for this type of result, or at least over time I've been able to prove that this has been a, a part of the, the zone that's been successful for me against this handedness of hitter. So now I know I can go there. And that gives a player much more confidence. And so this is another way where you can utilize like game information from the past to help determine game information in the present or game result in the present, I guess is probably the best way to say that, but mm -hmm. making them aware of where they can go for certain type of result or where they've been able to go for certain type of result over time. Where do they go to get swings and misses uh, regardless of who's up, like just handedness of hitter, like where do they go to get swings and misses versus left? Where do they go to get swings and misses versus rights? And then giving them that information so that when they're trying to evaluate, you know, I have this hitter in the box. I don't know a ton about him, but I know this is where I go to get swings and miss. And this is my strength. Then this is where they can go to attack. So I think that, I guess to answer your question, it's more about the outs than sure. it is about anything else. It's not like you just look at the numbers and be like, oh, well, you had a good outing based on the numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a thing. You had a good outing based on whether or not you got people out. Right. No, I love that. That's great. Well, I've got some quick hitters before you go. And again, let me be the first to say thank you so much for the conversation today. You've got my head spinning on sure. all the different angles that I could be thinking about all of these different things. But uh, one or a couple of these are getting to know you. A couple of these are just, you know, your favorite drills and whatnot. But what's the latest thing that you've either learned or you're learning now that has gotten you excited? Uh, I've been, I mean, just because of the nature of what we have available to us, I've been spending so much time with the, our ground force mound that I think that that's it's stuff that gets me really excited because now we're looking at you know, like how, how players do develop force over time over the course of their delivery how they return it to their body where they're at in certain positions in terms of how much z force like vertical force they're able to put into the ground how that relates to where they're able to stack up their delivery just just how they just dole out force over over time through their deliveries is incredibly interesting to me so that's that's something that i've i don't know that it's new because of we've had it since i've been here so this is like kind of year three with it but mm -hmm. i think that it's one of those things that just continues to provide more uh more questions and answers but it, some of the answers we're able to come up with are pretty exciting sure besides talent and i mean I, I you have to have enough talent to play division one baseball in the sec but what what other traits do you look for on the recruiting trail it's hard to look for it because it's really tough to quantify but like how tough a kid is is always going to come it's, it's always going to be you know, what it comes down to. And that's usually just through conversations. I mean, you can talk to, you can talk to a kid and if he's never making excuses or he's never talking about anything other than like what he didn't, what he could have done differently or what he did well, I think you can learn a lot about him from, from that standpoint. If they throw big games, if it's like the championship game and they're always throwing it, even if they're not the best pitcher on the, on that current pitching staff, you know, that usually tells us something about what the coaches think of those players. 
and that's important. So if you're trying, again, like it's the most impossible thing to evaluate. It's hard. I think you can get a good sense of it, but it's the thing that matters the most here is, you know, who can handle it when it gets hot. Cause you know, if, if you've turned on an SEC baseball game, which I'm sure most of the people that are listening to this have, like those are big environments. Like those are a lot, there's a lot of people there and there's a lot of people that when you're on the road, don't like you a whole lot. And you got to be able to handle that. You got to be able to handle those situations. And it, it's not just going out and doing it that helps you handle it. It's, you know, the mentality of how you attack everything you do in your life that helps you handle it. And, you know, if we can get to know the kids from a recruiting standpoint and how, how they handle doing well or doing poorly in the classroom, how they handle their training, what their trainers think of them, what their coaches think of them. And is this the kid that is the guy on the mound when it matters, not just because he has the best stuff, but because he's a winner? Like, I think that's really important. No doubt I love that answer. Next question is, what is something that you used to believe that you don't anymore and why? Uh, it goes back to some of the stuff you were saying earlier, actually, like training after the game, like running poles immediately or doing like a bunch of banded recovery work. You know, when I started coaching, I was like, oh, if they just train, then we'll just blow out all that soreness. When really we're just creating a lot more of it and slowing down the recovery process significantly. So I used to believe that as a coach. I also used to believe like everybody had to do kind of the same throwing. I used to believe that either uh, right, right when I started, it was everybody had to throw on a line to 120 feet. And then as I like within a year, I was like, all right, everybody has to play long toss just as far as they can all the time. And you get some results that way. And I'm a big long toss fan. And, you know, Alan Jager is a wonderful friend of mine. And I love the guy to death. But you got to be adaptable to your players. And you have to understand that there's a lot of different ways for guys to get better. It doesn't always have to be this one thing that everybody has to do. You know, I don't believe in absolutes. I believe in, you know, I believe in learning through players. And sometimes that means I have to shelf something that I think is the right way to do something because it just isn't for that particular player. And it just does not work for them for whatever reason. There's a lot of reasons that we don't know about in terms of our players, whether it's Mentally, physically, anatomically, there's a lot of things we just don't know by looking at a guy and saying, yeah, you should do it this way until you really like involve those players in this process. Great answer. What is a drill that we can steal from you that you that we could implement tomorrow? Uphill shot put six pound med ball throws. Okay. Into a wall is my favorite drill right now for uh a lot of different things helps organize the body, but throwing uphill is like one of my favorite things to have guys do and whether it's plyos or whatever. But I think the, the med ball shot put throw is really, is a really great piece. Uh, we actually tested it at Wake Forest when I was there in, uh, in our, in our pitching, pitching lab with uh, our biomechanists to try to mirror what's the closest thing to the pitching delivery in terms of trunk rotation. And it was the shot put is what we were able to come up. We didn't do a, a That's awesome. hugely extensive. I mean, it was like through 10 pitchers and it was all pretty close in terms of trunk rotation. So that, that drill is something that I've, I've always thought was really impactful by itself. And then throwing it uphill um, really allows guys to be able to get to a stride position that's optimal and also be able to you know, kind of work to return force into their body. You know, instead of thinking about it like stopping or bracing or anything like that, we think about it as returning the force. 
So when the ball is exiting their hand, we're just measuring how much force is returned from foot strike to uh, ball release. And one of the things that we think helps with that is being able to efficiently throw a uphill med ball shot put. I think it's a good, it's a good drill. I love it. And then finally, if we gave you a budget to buy one resource for every listener that is listening to this, what would that resource be? Whether it's a a course or a book or whatever you'd like, but what's one thing that you think that all of our listeners could benefit from? Oh man, that's a tough one. I think I wouldn't need a budget, so I wouldn't have to, you know, there'd be no one piece. I I would make everybody... (laughs) sit down and talk to their players and listen to them. I <laughs> love that. Like, I think that that's still the most, I think that's still the king communication with the players is still the king talking to them. And, you know, you could say buy them all a pitch logic ball or $50,000 force mound or mm-hmm. a track man. And they're just pieces of equipment. Like they don't do anything if you don't have good communication with the player. Sure. They just are, they're just sitting there and the players just look at them like that's, that's the thing that's supposed to get me better instead of the player thinking I'm going to get me better. And here's how this thing might be able to help me. Mm, That's good. So then communication, talk to your players. Um, I try to be as good as I can at it. I'm not perfect, but uh, I think talking to the players, I know that's not like a sexy answer, but I think it's, 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 I think it's the most important thing. I like the, I like the non-sexy answers because I, I'm trying to not give into to groupthink and have everyone that buys but but usually you know we have one book or or whatever but I that might be my favorite answer that that we've had on the show so uh, in the 200 plus episodes congratulations that was that was amazing oh that's a well I appreciate that I've I've listened to a lot of episodes and I know there's a lot of incredibly smart talented coaches that have been on this podcast. No doubt. And I get to get to add you to the list, but I am going to uh, include your contact below. And so if yeah. any of our listeners want to get Please in contact do. with you, I will put that down there. But I do want to mute myself, open up the mic and just let you roll with whatever you'd like to tell our listeners. But is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go? I think the main thing that if, if I get one like piece of information across, um, hopefully is that as the game changes, it doesn't mean we have to be less demanding of what we expect from players in terms of their work. I think that we can all look at a bullpen and be standing in there with the guys as they throw and see them put crazy numbers on a rap soda or a track man and get really excited about it. But what we should always be demanding of is how they train day to day, what their day to days are like. You know, I'm more demanding on Tuesday of our Friday starter than I am on Friday night of our Friday starter. And I, I feel like if we can be that demanding of, you know, how they focus, how they train, how they prepare, I think you can build a generation of really, really great pitchers and players. Like I think it goes to position players and, you know, whatever. It's just if we demand a lot of focus and attention and don't just celebrate um, the things that don't matter, like if we don't celebrate the velocity, if we celebrate the weak contact, if we don't celebrate the spin rate, if we celebrate the ability to throw an, a cross count off speed pitch for a strike, celebrate the things that are going to be what gets us and gets the player to a successful outing. Don't celebrate the things that are sexy and easy. You know, it's, it's 
if you go out and watch baseball, if you're a college baseball coach, it's not hard to find a guy that throws 95 miles an hour anymore, which is crazy to say. But it's hard to find a guy that's tough enough to throw 91 on the inner half to the best hitter in the country because he believes it and he knows he can get him out there. Like, that's hard to find. Celebrate that. But if I had to, I guess if that, if I had anything to say, it would be that. And that's it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.